G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. When I was a little kid, when attending the church in, um, in Malawi, one day a preacher preached in uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, that said, For I know the plan I have for you, declared the Lord, um, the plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you hope and the future. So that verse became like a strong bond in my life. So every time I keep thinking about that. The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Philbert was born in the Congo and he and his family were refugees in various African countries before eventually migrating to Australia. Today, he'll share his adventurous life journey and how he put his faith in the Lord as he has a chat with Karen Hunt. Philbert, you've been sharing with me how your parents are from a country that I apologise, I've never heard of, Burundi, next to Rwanda. And uh, as a refugee baby, you were actually born in Congo. So fill us all in, including myself. Tell us about how you came to the world and uh, those early days for you as a baby and a young child. Yes, um, my parents are from Burundi. And um, because of the war, they moved to Congo. So that's where I was born. So actually, I was born as a refugee. And, uh, but now I'm Australian. But um, from um, that time, we moved to different um, countries. So from Congo, we moved to Tanzania, where we lived in the refugee camp. And um, we were receiving um, food from some food provider, like people who provide food for the refugees. So our life was um, all right over there, but it wasn't um, easy for us. Then uh, my parents decided to move to Zambia. Zambia, that's where we lived in the refugee camp called Maheba. So that refugee camp, the, the government will just help you only for two years. Then after two years, you would have to depend on yourself. So during that time, my parents lived by farming. So the only thing we could depend on is what we have planted. So we... I used to go to farm with my parent as a, a young kid in Zambia. So we used to farm rice, um, cassava, and also um, tomatoes. So life wasn't um, easy in that refugee camp. Sometimes we we find in your house there is a snake because um, we were living in a jungle. There was no, a lot of people, you don't live closer to next to your neighbor. You just live somewhere just by yourself. And um, we have no light, so to be able to enter inside the, the house or the room, you have to, um, to put on fire some grasses, and then you can see where, exactly where you are yeah. going. So over there, uh, I was farming with my parents. I woke up early in the morning as a young, young kid because um, they couldn't afford to take me to school, so I had no opportunity to study. So my everyday life was just spending time um, praying, um, praying in the ground with the soil or maybe they told me to do something 
helping them. So it wasn't um easy. Then um after that my we received we got some money. Um but before that my dad got sick. Um when he was really sick because um from farming a tree um one tree fall on his leg. So he was injured. So the tree uh, the leg was very sore and he couldn't find a treatment in the in the refugee camp. So mm -hmm. he had to go to the to the capital city which is uh, Lusaka in Zambia. So my dad spent there like one year without uh, seeing him. Then after that, we decided to move there. We sell all our cattles and everything because we lived in Zambia, in the refugee camp of Zambia for seven years. Then we moved to Lusaka where we had a small shop and um, I was selling and helping my dad in the shop. So, Philbert, this shop in Lusaka, so we're still in Zambia. Yes. So this is the capital of Zambia. Yes. And your family as a whole, so your mum, your dad, you and your sister, are there others in your family and as well? Yes. Uh, I have, uh, at that time I had um, uh, one brother and um, two sisters. So okay. we rested four kids okay. in the family. And were you all helping in the shop? Um. I was helping in the shop because I was the odd one, uh -huh. but the other kid had to stay home with my, my mom, just right. helping, just house, house stuff. Yeah. Yes. We stayed in Osaka for like um, three years, mm -hmm. and then we moved to, to Malawi. So Another when we, country move? Yes. Wow, okay. Uh, so Malawi, we are living in a refugee camp, which mm -hmm. called um, Zaleka. Yeah. So we lived there in Malawi. That's when uh, I started my school studying. I was 12 years old. So I started in grade four because of my age. But that time I didn't know how to even write my name because I never had uh, opportunity to attend any school. Mm -hmm. Because um, in Malawi refugee camp, the, the refugees, student, the kids could study for free. So that's how I got that opportunity. So I started in grade, um, grade four. So I couldn't um, be able to write or spell or say alphabet. So it was pretty hard for me with, yeah. uh, by 12 years old and if everyone is uh, younger than me and they are like pretty there, they know everything, they know what they are doing. So sometimes they will tell me to write something I don't know. I will just sit there and they will start um, laughing at me. Sometimes I will go at home and I will start crying and think how how will I know how to read? How will even I will know how to spell my name? So sometimes I could hear my little um, sister and brothers singing um, the alphabet song. So every time I listen to them singing it, then uh, at the end of it, I catch how to sing it. Yeah. So I start singing, but actually I don't know what I'm singing. Then I had the alphabetic order, like all the letters. So when I start singing, I can go along and then I, I start teaching myself to know which one is which. I couldn't pass to go to the next um, level in grade four because I didn't know anything. So because um, if you don't pass your grade, you don't move in Malawi. At the age of what, 15, you've just finished year six of yeah. school. Yeah. You were 16 years old, you said, when you actually moved from the country of Malawi here. To Brisbane, yeah, Australia. Yeah, yeah. How did that come to be? Wow, that was like um, a life opportunity, which uh, I didn't even uh, expect because um, before we moved um, from Malawi, 
it was just like a miracle. People came and they said, all the refugees should write their story. And then my dad wrote the story. And then um, I think maybe they sent it to Australia. They see how we lived and everything we passed through. So we got uh, the opportunity that Australia can be able to help our family. Mm -hmm. That's how we came um, to Australia. So when I got um, in Australia in 2006, so I started attending um, English school in, um, up in Ipswich area. So um, that English school, I stayed there for like uh, six months where I was like learning English, learning how to write, how to speak, uh, going through everything. So I was trying my best, working hard. And uh, every time I come home, because I, I usually get home like around five because it was like pretty far. Um, so I get home, I start going through everything they taught us and uh, trying to write something, try to write some stories. And then I would take to my teachers, I show them like, this is what I wrote. This is what I came up with. Then they'll be like, wow, that's good. That's you are getting, you are getting better and you are improving. After six months, then um, I moved to Woodridge State High School. That's when I started um, uh, attending ESL class and um, doing some science and math and everything like that. Then um, I started in year 10. So um, I was like trying my best and working hard every time I come from school. I go in my room and study because I always like have the feeling of the, the back years when I was young and the kids are teasing me that um, I don't really know anything. So I wanted to achieve something You're for myself. You're a determined yeah. young man. What was your favorite subject? Was science a favorite? Science was my favorite mm. and also uh, math. When we were in Malawi, when the, the, the construction come to build something, uh, I usually go and follow those uh, track and see what they're doing. So when I got here, when I was attending my school in the Ipswich area, so they were telling us, who do you like to be? I was like, I want to be an engineer because they show us like all the, the career path or anything someone can take. So I had no idea about that, but I knew that English, um, I knew that science and math is the most important in that um, area. So I used to enjoy it and I like to write things and play with numbers. So I enjoyed those subjects pretty much, yeah. You're listening to The Story. Today, Karen Hunt is chatting with Philbert, who was born in the Congo and was a refugee in various African countries before eventually migrating to Australia. We'll find out more of his story, including his passion for youth ministry, when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're back with Karen Hunt chatting with Philbert, who was born in the Congo and was a refugee in various African countries before eventually migrating to Australia along with his family. Next, we'll hear more of Philbert's story, including his love for music and passion for youth ministry. How did schooling here compare to the crowded classroom back in Africa that you were telling us about? Well, in Africa, sometimes... You will spend your whole years studying. Mm. You never t- the teacher never touched you or asked you anything. Mm. 
because we are too many students and um, it's uh, pretty hard. But here, I was always go to the teachers and ask them, I tell them uh, what I feel. I tell them what I want to achieve in my life. So even them, they keep encouraging me, work hard, you're going to reach there. Every day, study. And every time I come home and my parents, they could understand that I have to study. And they would let me go in my room and work hard and keep studying. And it was, it was amazing uh, studying here. So that individual attention definitely was helpful for you. Did you have a goal to go and study the civil engineering as such? Yes, because um, after I finished my year 10, they taught us to do the subject selection. So I said to myself, I never had any OP subject in my life, like chemistry, physics, and those subjects. They looked um, strange to me, but I said, I want to be an engineer. Then I said, okay, I will have to do OP subject because I don't want to go through TEF after my high school. I want to go straight away to university. Mm -hmm. Then I set that goal. And I uh, said, okay, I would have to achieve it. Then uh, every day I would come home and sit and work hard. But my parents, because they didn't have an opportunity to study, no one to help me, no one to, to see, oh, what are you going through at home? I would have to work hard by myself. And maybe I'll go, if I'm struggling, I'll, I'll see one of my friends so they can be able to, to help me with what I'm doing. But it wasn't easy for me uh, not having someone yeah. to support me. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of support, was faith a part of your family culture at this stage? Was that a form of support for you and for them? Yes, um, faith was a um, pretty um, strong thing because my, as, uh, my parents are Christian, so they were always praying for us or kids, saying, okay, they, because they know where God has taken, taken them and up where they are now. So they said it's all about God. So they always pray for us. Always they, they pray, they, they fast to, that so that God can help us, so that we can continue having um, hope and knowing that we can achieve in ev everything we are doing. So was that also a high priority even from when you were born as a baby? Were your mum and dad always faithful, always hopeful during those hard times with the war in Africa, with the refugee camps, with all the moves? Was that a key part? Of their life? Yes, yes. Key part of their life was depending on prayer, depending on God, because they know that no one, no, no other help they can get. So always they, they have to pray. And um, I think when I was a little kid, when I attending the school, um, the church in um, in in Malawi, one day a preacher preached in uh, Jeremiah chapter twenty nine, verse eleven. Um, that said, for I know the plan I have mm. for you, declare the Lord, mm -hmm. um, the plan to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you hope and the future. So that verse became like a strong bond in yeah. my life. So every time I keep thinking about that. So that time I didn't know like where it's, it is, yeah, but I just know the word. So I know that that's what God, God knows everything for us, knows our future knows our life so but coming here and knowing how to read and understanding so i start understanding exactly what that means how was it for you and your family coming here did you come to an area where there were lots of other african people yes um the first time we arrive in australia we find um, um people who used to live with my to live with my parent um in 
different countries or different refugee camp. They were at, already at our house. Right. So they had to welcome us and show us everything, turn on the TV for us, <laughs> show us the fridge, you know, because we never seen that one, that yes. things before. So in essence, you had family to, to come to. Yeah, yeah, we had friends, yeah. Philbert, you just told me the meaning of your very tricky surname. Share with our listeners, what is that? Ndaishimia, what does it mean? Uh, Ndaishimia means uh, thanking. It's like my, when my parents have me, they were like thanking God and they're wow. so proud of having me. So that's why they called me that name. It means like giving thanks to God. That is very, yeah, very special. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure you're giving thanks to God for the fact that you're here in Australia. Yes, you know, yes. after those early years in war-torn Africa, you were sharing how you actually learnt English and the English alphabet through the singing of your siblings, mm-hmm. taking on singing yourself. That's what connected you in locally in Australia, mm-hmm. with the All Nations Revival Church in Woodridge. Was that a special part of your life, getting in with that group? Yeah, um, when uh, I started attending, attending uh, All Nations Revival Church and uh, I joined the, the, ch- the church choir. So I started singing there and um, uh, working together with the, the singers over there. So then uh, in 2008, I was... Um, elected to be the youth leader in the church. So that time we started as a, a youth choir. We were singing there and um, growing and learning instrument, how to play instrument, guitar, bass, drums, because um, we had no people to play the instrument in our church. So you play all those instruments? No, I don't play um, those instruments, but uh, I play drum, uh, I play bass guitar. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, um, but, uh, and you play the voice box. Yes, Very yes, well, yes. I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thank God for everything. So, um, from then, uh, we keep uh, working with the youth, and um, I keep enjoying the working together with the, with the youth, and um, uh, working and singing and do all those stuff, and being part of All Nations Revival Church it was a great thing um, in my life, and uh, I learned so many things from. Um, different youth um, because our youth, they are all from different country. So they all have different culture and they, they all experience uh, different things. Mm. So when we put it together, it's not only about singing, but it's about building each other in the way of living together in this, um, in this new country we were living in. So um, I worked together with, with them. Then uh, the first um, generation of the youth choir, most of them, they all got married. Then I was like, "Wow, this is <laughs> this is this is bad," you know. Really? Then I was like, "Oh, they're all gone because when they got married, they are, they are not youth anymore. Now they are married. They are married people. They have to like they had to join in the other other, other choirs. Yeah, they have the responsibility and they are singing in the other choirs. Mm-hmm. Then um, I said, "Okay, God, I will continue doing your work. Um, you choose me to do it." Then uh, uh, that time I was singing like with one of the other girl we were we are remaining like two of us so we were singing and uh, i keep there singing when they call the youth youth choir we just sing too then i said wow i start raising up the new generation of the youth choir so uh from like 12 going up then we start we start singing and i start teaching them how to sing teaching them songs and sometimes i, I wrote my own songs so i teach them those songs and now it's like amazing. We are traveling everywhere. 
now we're just moving around singing and um, also proclaiming the gospel. So do you have a particular name for your group, Philbert? Yes, um, our group now is called uh, Youth Connect. Uh-huh. It's not only we will work in Australia, but we will, we will work around the world because um, this is Youth Connect. And uh, this vision, it's uh, very strong. And uh, it's also the vision from God. Because um, in 2012, I had like a voice at night telling me, uh, Philbert, what are you doing with the, the youth who are not part of the singing, your singing group? I was like, wow, what is this question? What is happening to me? Then uh, I keep, after another week, I heard, I heard the same voice. And the, one day I was walking, I heard the same feeling like, what am I doing with the youth who are not part of the singing group? You are not talking to them that much. You are not like helping them that much. You are just, they being encouraged? Are they being discipled? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. So that, that's what was happening. So one day I was sleeping and um, it was a nighttime around 12 o'clock. Then um, God just showed me this vision and straight away God gave me the name. I woke up at night. It was like you've connect. And I just, the way it was amazing, I just woke up at that night and I start writing everything which this vision was about, um, it was categorized in four stages, which is um, um, be connected, get connected, stay connected, and live connected with Jesus mm-hmm. in your heart. Mm-hmm. So these all things, I received it in the same night. I just write it down. Then I went and speak to my pastor. I told him, this is what I saw. This is, the, this is what I saw at night. I wrote it down, and pastor was like, yeah, this is a vision from God. You need um, to pray about it and see what you can do about it. And then I, I prayed and I fasted for like a week, asking God, what do you really want me to do with this? You're talking that um, there is other youth around and I'm not really supporting them. Then um, one day I was like, just finished having shower. I'm dressing up, getting ready to go somewhere. Then I just had like um, a voice in myself talking to me like, um, you know, I have took you from far. I brought you in this country. I've been always with you. But through all those experience, I need you to speak and encourage other people. Tell them that they can do it. No matter what the situation it is, they can still move on with life and be able to achieve something greater in the future. When I heard that, I said, I went to my pastor and told that information. Then, my pa- then I asked him if I, we can have um, a youth service in our church. He's like, okay, we, we discuss with the leaders of the church and then we can give you that um, opportunity and you can start up. Then the time we start, we started with the vision fully on with the logo of the vision and everything was on and the, we invited the youth around Logan. They all came. So the first service was great. From then we start, it's like something has given us more force to move on with um with what we do, we start having conferences. We start even um, having some international um, speaker coming to the youth conference. Those conferences, they're always like big. We have like more than um, 600 um, young people from all of, around um, Brisbane um, and uh, around uh, Queensland. Even we had some, some youth from um, interstate. Like, um, Fantastic. Yeah, like South Australia, Perth and, um, and Sydney. So it was pretty amazing. Like, See, it's growing.
It's great to hear your story. I really sense uh, an ongoing purpose in the things of God for yeah, you, yeah. for your life, with your future family that mm-hmm. you may not even be aware of at the moment. God yeah. bless you, Phil, but thank you so much for sharing and coming into the studio today. Thank you very much, and God bless you, Karen. Well, that was Karen Hunt chatting with Philbert, who was born in the Congo. And it was amazing to hear all of the obstacles he was able to overcome in order to get to Australia and to receive a degree in civil engineering. As we heard, he is one determined young man with a strong faith in the Lord and a passion for intercultural youth ministry. We wish him well and all the best in the future. As Philbert mentioned, one of the significant verses in his life was from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And it's great to see that with the help of the Lord, Philbert has come a long way and certainly has a hope and a future. Well, thanks for joining us for Philbert's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. And in a matter of, I don't know, a couple of minutes or something, I turn around and he wasn't in the shop anymore. And I walked out of the shop to look for him and I could not see him anywhere. And then around the corner came these two chaps and they asked me my name and they said, we have some papers for you and we have taken your two boys from school and we've got the other boy and there are some papers for you. And from then on, I was alone. Gary Atkins is the author of the book, Thank You, Lord, an autobiographical account of his triumphant journey after losing custody of his children and experiencing homelessness. As we'll hear, only in Cooperpedia can one's life rise up after digging down into the ground. We'll hear Gary's fascinating story next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.